Um, so, hey everybody, uh, I hope you're doing well tonight. My name is Tommy Ersentalis, for those of you who do not know me. I am an intern here at the BCM. Uh, I'm a senior, and I'll be graduating this May, actually, with a degree in psychology. Uh, I've actually been at the BCM here for many years. I started off uh, really, really, you know, long time ago, it feels like, but it was the beginning of freshman year. It was my first semester. It was actually at orientation when I first met my first BCMer. Uh, and he introduced me to the BCM and what it was, and that's kind of when I first got to know about what the heck this place was, uh, and I quickly got plugged in. So I've kind of been here ever since. Uh, my first experience in BCM was obviously challenge, most of us is, and a Bible study. Uh, but in addition to that, I actually joined leadership basically right away. Uh, I was serving on the worship team, and then eventually I became the leader of the worship team for a couple of years. And then last year, unfortunately, it was COVID, and so there were complications, and it was a mess, but it was still enjoyable. I got to serve as the president here at the BCM. Uh, I love this ministry. Obviously, I've stuck around, and so I feel like God has called me here and dedicated my time and uh, learned so much from people here. Uh, I love this ministry, and I love its dedication to people, to the Word of God, uh, and also just to actual legitimate community and not just, you know, friendship. Uh, I think there's legit community here, fellowship with other people, uh, just as God has intended it to be. Um, and obviously we're pushing our people to go to the local church because that's where God's true community is. And here we can find college students who are like us trying to figure that out. Uh, I love what Jay's been doing here, even just this semester for the past couple of months. He's really ushering a new season of the BCM in, and I'm excited for that. Leaders at the BCM here, like Jay, uh, like Nathan before him, and others have really made a big impact on my life. And so that's one of the reasons that I feel that God has called me here to stick around uh, and just kind of serve other people here. And I'm really humbled and grateful to speak to you today uh, on this new topic, this new series about emotions called, Are You Okay? And I actually love this question because it's so simple and kind of boring. And, you know, we think it's asked a lot or we think, you know, we talk about it, but we really don't. So my question to you is, are you okay? Um, seriously, are you okay? Because it's a tough question for myself to answer. And so in a second, I'm going to pray just as we jump into everything today. Uh, and I want us to just take one second to reflect on that question is, are you okay? So let's do that. Uh, let's pray really quick. Dear God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this opportunity to be here. Uh, though it is on Zoom, uh, God, that we can be spiritually united uh, because of you through technology and everything else, God. I just pray that as today we, we jump into these questions about our identity and who we are, God, that you just speak through myself um, to anybody who's listening to my voice um, now or in the future or whenever. Uh, God, I just pray that you, you tell them really if they're okay or not and what they need help with and, and where their identity truly is. So um, are we okay, God? It's something that we truly want to know. Jesus' name. So, are you okay? Um, honestly, the answer to that question for me, more often than not, um, is, as you might expect, it's a big no. I'm not okay. I'm not doing okay. I'm actually really, really busy. This past week, too, has been a crazy week for myself, school and work and doing things here at the ministry and church and everything else has got me entangled in so many questions. Uh, I have so many obligations and responsibilities to attend to. Uh, I also want to study, 
I also, uh, you know, want to have fun. I want to have a social life. I want to keep friends. I want to make new friends. I want to be a Christian, blah, 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 blah. Like that sentence just kept going on and on because that's what my life feels like. It just keeps going on and on. And I can't stop to ask myself, am I okay? And I'm overwhelmed. And so the answer to that would be no more often than not. Um, raise your hand if you get any of these negative feelings. Like we get these negative feelings all the time of I'm overwhelmed. I have so much going on. Oh my gosh. And we think things like this. You're too busy. You don't have time for God. You made a mistake and now you're unworthy. You're inadequate. What you've done or what someone has done to you is going to be a scar for the rest of your life. You should be ashamed of yourself. These are things that some have been spoken directly to me and others not, but I've heard throughout my whole life. And I've struggled with these feelings of shame in who I am and guilt for what I've done and not done. Rarely did anybody ask me the question of, are you okay? So I grew up in a household with loving parents and went to a church from a young age. Um, it was that stereotypical church. That's what, when I think of church, I just think of my old church. It was pearly white building, steeple, stained glass. Like, pearly white, yep, that was the whole thing. And these people that were going to this church consistently every day for years and years and years, uh, they were loving, they were caring, and they were my picture of Christian community. And they really did love and care about people. Uh, and that's, that's kind of what I thought my whole life. Um, but this story that I want to tell starts with five-year-old Tommy. Every night, my parents would read the Bible to me. I had a storybook Bible, and they would read it to me and just teach me about God and about Jesus and my need for him. Uh, one night, they asked me if I understood if I need a Savior. And I said, yes. And they said, do you want to accept him? And of course, I said, yes, because this is what I grew up with, and this is what I believed that I wanted and I needed in my life. And that night, I was saved. I prayed a prayer to God to give him my life. But I was five, and so I didn't understand that. Uh, I barely understood, you know, kindergarten things. Like, I didn't know my colors very well. Or, you know what? I didn't know much at that point. Uh, but I did know I needed a Savior. I needed some help. Um, but let's fast forward six years. It was 2010, and I received a tablet for my birthday. It was a nice, shiny Kindle Fire, if anybody knows what that is. Um, and that was like the big thing at that point. I was super excited, and so I downloaded as many games as I possibly could. I was like, let's get as much stuff on here as I can, and I'll just be stimulated, and oh my gosh, because before that, it was, you know, Barney and Blue's Clues, but it wasn't like unlimited access to any game ever that I wanted. And so, not understanding the diversity of the applications that I could purchase or that I could, you know, get for free, which my parents wisely only let me get the free ones, um, I actually stumbled across something new and a little bit different. It was an app, a provocative picture of a woman on a poker app. The first exposure I ever had that I remember imprinted on me of something that wasn't quite right. My 11-year-old self didn't know really what to do at this point. First, I was confused. Second, I was guilty. And third, I was ashamed of myself. I knew I saw something I shouldn't have. I didn't know what to do with this new information, and so I kept it a secret, as most young kids do with things that they don't want to share. Um, 
let's fast forward later in that same year, and with that same device, that Kindle Fire that I loved so much, I became more curious about these types of pictures. I thought it was just restricted to different games, but of course that wasn't true. I became more curious but more confused, more guilty of seeing things I shouldn't have, and more shame for keeping it a secret. But the cycle kept going on and on. Over this year, the accidental finding of a provocative picture on a poker app turned into the intentional seeking out of pornographic content on a daily basis, most likely a daily basis, but definitely a weekly basis. Um, and following that, for the next eight years, addiction ensued. I was 12 when this first started. For years, I kept this sin a secret in my life. I went to church on Sundays and Wednesdays, obeyed my parents, and acted the part. But the whole time, I struggled behind the scenes with this secret sin, this brain-altering, heart-changing addiction. And I can't begin to describe the immense fear, guilt, and shame associated with this specific addiction. A simple knock on my bedroom door would be the easiest thing to just throw me into a tizzy in my room because I thought I was going to get in trouble. I didn't even know what was happening in my life. The mention of sexuality or confessing your sins or secrecy or sin in general in church just terrified me. This wasn't just some addiction to sexual images or pornographic videos, though. It was really a distortion of a reality that affects my mind, my heart, and my body. It was an addiction to self-gratification, gratifying my own desires at the loss of relationships with my friends, relationships with my family and my parents, my witness as a Christian, and honestly, what I felt like was a loss of my own soul. And I never knew how much damage could be caused by the perverse use of just a laptop, my phone, and a shame-filled heart. See, lust that started in my heart at 11, from curiosity, turned into pornography addiction. And this pornography addiction turned into exploitation of strangers and exploitation of some of my best friends from school and from church. And this cycle continued on. I was so lost in this sin. I could go on and on about it. I was twisted by what I thought was innocent and harmless and just curiosity. At one point, I even cheated on my girlfriend at the time without even thinking I did a wrong thing because I was looking things up and I was doing things on the internet I know I shouldn't have been doing. And I knew it. I was guilty and I was ashamed of it. But what is guilt? What is shame? Well, I think to understand these things, we can of course go to scripture because that's where its origin is. And we can actually find shame in scripture right at the beginning. If you have your Bibles, flip to Genesis 2, at the end of Genesis 2, the beginning of Genesis 3. Before the first sin, Adam and Eve had perfect communion with God. They walked around and enjoyed the Garden of Eden and enjoyed loving God and having this beautiful connection with him and each other. In fact, Genesis 2.25 comes right after Eve. Adam and, it says, Adam and his wife were both naked. Na no, no no shame. They were completely exposed to God and to each other and were innocent without sin. 
But this changes come the next chapter. Pick up in chapter 3, verse 6, after Eve had spoken to the serpent. It says this, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Adam and Eve had just committed the first sin. And what was their first response? Hiding. Fear. Guilt. Shame. They hid from God in every sense of the word. Physically, spiritually, they didn't want anything to do with him. And they felt guilty because they had done wrong. They carried this with them. And so, in a way, feeling guilty is an acknowledgement that they sinned. But going into guilt, there are actually two types. The first guilt is true guilt, uh, also known as conviction. This points us towards God. Uh, it tells us that we know we sin and we're separated from God, and so we take steps toward him. We confess we reconcile, and we repent. But the other guilt is a little more tricky. It's called false guilt or shame. This pushes us away from God. We feel inadequate. We feel humiliated. We feel unworthy of love and grace. And in my case, all those years, I felt this guilt. The secrecy and the addiction produced shame in my heart. Over the years, I made steps to come clean. I would talk to camp counselors over the summer, youth group leaders on those tearful nights, and others I love and trust in the face of my fear and confess. But unfortunately, all of these attempts to confess and heal were met with many of the same discouraging thoughts. Something like, hey man, thanks for sharing this. I know this was hard. Let's pray that God takes that away from you. But no real discipleship. Or, Wow, I never would have thought that. We can try to work on that with no follow-up. And the most scarring of all, I can't believe that you've done this. This is sick. It's perverted and disgusting. You need to fix this. You should be ashamed of yourself. Even saying it out loud now brings back pain to my heart and reverberations of the shame that I felt then. Let me clarify that each of these people in these situations had the best of intentions for me. They wanted me to grow up and, and be a good Christian, love God and obey him. Many of them grew up in a time when pornography was exclusive to Playboy magazines under the bed and VHS tapes. They loved me and they cared about me, but they didn't know the immense pain that I was in. But maybe you don't struggle with pornography like I have. Maybe it's a different kind of addiction or sin, or maybe it's something else entirely. Maybe you've had a close friend abandon you. Maybe you had a parent or a loved one or somebody you trusted abuse you. Maybe you've done wrong or been wronged by others. In some way, shape, or form, most of us, no, 
all of us have felt guilty and ashamed for one reason or another. Does this sound like you? Because that's me, honestly. But I don't want to leave you with the depressing end of this really tough story all about shame. Let me tell you what I learned as the solution to my shame. This isn't a fix it overnight or be better tomorrow thing. It's a everyday trial. The answer to this is actually frustratingly simple. When searching for a solution, I began to truly understand one thing. If shame is the result of sin, humiliation in who we are and what we've done, then the only solution is Jesus and identification with who he is and what he has done. I want to say that again. If shame is the result of sin, humiliation in who we are and what we've done, then the only solution is Jesus, identification with who he is and what he has done. Because Jesus is a son of God, the son of God. He bore our sin, our shame, and he died with it. Then he rose and defeated it. So in essence, in the reality of eternity, Jesus has defeated the shame that we all feel in our hearts, the guilt that we have, the false guilt telling us we're not good enough. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. But what else does the Bible say? Well, it speaks to our identity. Flip from Genesis to 1 John. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. It says this about our identity. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. It might be a weird passage for talking about shame in so many ways because he's asking us to be unashamed. How do we feel that way at all? Well, our solution to shame isn't confidence in ourselves, not self-help, doing better, modifying our behavior. It's identification with God. Identification with who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. This is truly what we are called to. I believe that this passage speaks for itself, talking about dear children and going to God in purity and unashamedness. But there are a couple truths I want to point out. The first truth is this. We are children of God. Throughout the passage, it calls us dear children or children of God or children of God again. 1 John 3, 1, right in there says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Not to stop there, 
and that is what we are. I love how he says that in the end. That is what we are. He wants to emphasize that that is what you are. If you're a Christian, if you believe in God, if you believe in Christ as your Savior and your Lord, then you are a child of God and you identify in the family of God. We may have done wrong. We may feel shame or may have been wronged by others and feel the same shame, but we're still children of God no matter what. The second point is this. We are called to continue in him. It says that right there in that first verse that, and now dear children, continue in him. But to continue in something, you have to start it first. So do you even have a relationship with God? Are you his child? This passage is speaking to Christians, followers of Christ first. It's not speaking to people who don't know God or who don't believe in Christ as their Savior and, and Lord of their life. So are you his child? Because he wants you to be. He's called us to adoption. He said, you are my child, and he wants you in his family. The question is, are we willing to accept that? But for us who are Christians, what does it mean to continue? Well, everybody has a different story and a different journey. But my question is, what are some obstacles in the modern day that inhibit us from continuing in God? Well, one obstacle, pretty obvious in this time, is COVID. I think that's a pretty easy obstacle to say, um, well, I can't really continue in God. There's COVID going on. Um, can't really go to church very often. Can't hang out with my friends at this and that and that place. Um, or I'm just kind of feeling down and I'm just going to wait till all this is over and I don't want to wear a mask and do this and that thing. And it's just too much work. We're still called to continue. Maybe it's school. Maybe we have so much work to do. Maybe we just have exams every single week and we're stressed out about them, but we're still called to continue in him. Maybe it's our social life or getting ahead in our career or anything else in the entire world. What is stopping you from continuing in him? But what does it mean to continue? How do we even do that? Honestly, because I said everybody's in a different step of their relationship with God, just take the next step. Just take one step. Maybe that's, you know what, I read my Bible every day, I go to church, I do all the things, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Are you confessing your sins? Are you being honest about where you're at? Or are we just doing the things because that's what God told us to do? Or are we really obeying his commands? A couple of simple things are just read scripture, pray by yourself and with others, and learn the best ways to obey God's commands with others around you as well. The third truth is that we have a goal, and that is to be confident and unashamed before Christ. It says in verse 28 that, Dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed at his coming. We want to live in a way today that we won't be ashamed on that day. So my question for myself, honestly, is if I went to bed tonight and went to Christ as I slept, would I be ashamed of the way that I'm living today? Or would I be confident, unashamed 
and just embrace Christ as I am right now, striving for him, learning how to love him, learning how to learn his commands and, and actually obey them. So my application for today is just think like a child of God. Think like you were when you were a child. Trust in your secure identity as a child of God. Whether you were born into a family or adopted into it, you're the child of your parents. And of course, any parent on earth is going to be imperfect, but you're still their child. It doesn't change that identity. Trust in that identity. You are a child of God. Second, listen to your father's voice. As God says, we are called to obey our parents and to respect them. But honestly, our fathers, if we have one, uh, or just our fathers in general, are going to be imperfect. They're not God. So we're not going to have a perfect father on earth. But we can know and trust in the perfect voice of God. We're called to listen, and not just listen, but obey. Obey from fear of the Lord, as so many Proverbs say, that wisdom in our hearts begins with fearing God and loving him. The third thing, third way to think like a child is to enjoy your relationship with him. We should have a desire to spend time with those that we love the most. And if God loved us an infinite amount to send his son to die for us so we didn't have to live in this shame, we didn't have to live with this guilt that we're not good enough, that we've done things wrong that are unforgivable, he's done it. And we can embrace him in love. And we should have this desire to spend time with him, just as we desire to spend time with those who we love in our own lives. Before I go, I just want to share one verse of encouragement. It's out of Romans. For a lot of us, we feel that there's this shame. It's still weighing on our hearts. What do we do? You know, we're called to confess with our mouths, and we're called to bring it to God and to other people to heal and to be forgiven. But sometimes we feel like we can't because we're, we're just so far from God, and, and we're not actually in his love, and we're just like, how am I even worthy? But Romans speaks to this, and just an encouragement as we end. It's Romans 8, verse 35 through 39. It says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or shame? As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else, neither our guilt, what we've done in the past, what we're going to do in the future, our shame, our unworthiness, not saying we're good enough, nothing else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You are a child of God. There's nothing to be ashamed with that. Let's pray. Dear God, I just thank you for, for today, God. Um, just wrestling with this idea of shame myself, um, just as things that I've 
gone through in my own life, God, I've gone through hurt, felt guilt, felt shame from the people that I even love the most. Um, God, you've changed my heart. I just pray that as people listen to my voice today and they hear your voice saying they are your child. You've told me that. I just pray that we believe that in our hearts. God, that we continue in you. you. Unashamed and confident at your coming. God, we love you so much and we desire this relationship with you. So bless the rest of this night and our conversation and our sanctification, God, as we try to get closer to you.